in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Right now, it's 106. You're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of our program is brought by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Stop in and see them. Now, a delightful sit outside. People love their new deck. Don't forget, they're going to be jamming with the Celtics game tomorrow night. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of Route 146. All right, I want to go to uh, some of the sound that we have. Now, folks, this um, this whole business of what they're planning on doing with the January 6th uh, commission uh, in these hearings, I, I I am saying right now, I think this is, this is going to be a disaster. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I don't think there's anything new. They're really trying to drum a lot of things up. Um... This this whole this is all a distraction right now. That's what they're they're trying to do right now. It's a distraction. Before I do that, though, you know, I have talked in this program that we have a drunk driving problem in the state. And right now, um, no one is doing anything about it. Governor McKee, they could easily change the laws to address the drunk driving problem. How bad is it? What do you hear this story? This just happened last night. On this story, a Coventry man now facing criminal charges following a collision that happened on 95 overnight. He is accused of driving under the influence when he rear-ended a state police cruiser. Alexandra Leslie is joining us live with an update at the courthouse in Warwick. Alex? Well, Danielle, while we were waiting for Warner's arraignment, we saw the defendants that police were responding to for that original crash. That's why they had blocked off a portion of 95 last night. Police say 25-year-old Kenley Cologne was crashed her car on exit 14 on Route 95 last night. And in court, we learned that she was driving about three times over the legal limit and all while she had an infant in her car. Oh. Now, while we were waiting for Warner's arraignment, uh, while police were responding to that crash, rather, they had to block off three lanes of travel. They forced traffic into the high-speed lane. Wow. State police say around 1 a.m., a trooper was in his cruiser with emergency lights on, blocked that third lane of travel, and police say Warner rear-ended the state police cruiser. Ah. State police say as a result, the trooper suffered minor injuries while Warner did not. Troopers say Warner showed obvious signs of intoxication, and so he was placed into custody without incident. So again, we're still awaiting that arraignment inside Kent County Courthouse right now. We're told he's facing that deep why charge along with driving to endanger resulting in physical injury will head into court right now for more details live in warwick alexander leslie 12 news now the, the other part about that though dui suspect had baby in car so a woman was involved in the crash on 195 blood alcohol level three times the legal limit kelly conlin 25 arrested uh, following the crash to exit 14 in Warwick, troopers found the baby was not properly secured. According to police, there was a bottle of alcohol on the seat. Collins' eyes were bloodshot, watery, unable to say how she got into the crash. She also showed signs of impairment. Uh, she was arraigned Tuesday morning, driving under the influence, pled not guilty, of course. Bail set 2000. Due back in court June 28th. While police were responding that, they had to block three lines of traffic and another alleged drunk driver rear-ended 
a police cruiser. My point is, and nothing is being done. Nothing is being done. How many more incidents do we have to have with drunk driving? Now, I also want to pivot. I had heard about this story over the weekend. And this is one of those um, situations where I, I don't understand, but it has to do with the man injured and the children. This vicious dog attack. It was late Saturday night. I learned about this. I think it was, I want to say like 11 o'clock on Saturday night. So, and Channel 10 has uh, audio of this story. So I want to bring that to you right now. Here we go. This is terrible. Two children and their father to the hospital. The children are young, just one and four years old. Ah. And the dog has now been euthanized. The night team's Molly Levine joins us live with new details about that attack. Molly? Dan and Patrice, please say it happened on Summit Street at an apartment. And when they got there, they found a man wrestling with a pit bull. This all happening Saturday night. Oh, my like, God. Like, express how horrible it is, but I just hope that, like, the baby comes out of it. Oh. Police Chief Thomas Oates says several officers arrived to 24 Summit Street to find a man wrestling a pit bull that bit him and his two children. Police say the dog bit the father on his side, a four-year-old on his leg, and a one-year-old in the face. All were severely injured. It's just terrifying. Police allegedly tased the dog, which was only partially effective. They say they were able to get the children out of the room and lock the dog inside. The man and the four-year-old went to Rhode Island Hospital. The one-year-old was brought to Landmark to be stabilized before going to Hasbro for surgery. Authorities say the father and his two kids were visiting a relative who says he wasn't home at the time of the attack. Police say the dog has a documented history of biting people. Helen Haworth says her son was only five when he was bit by a pit bull. She claims it was the same dog. I had a bite on his stomach, right? Yeah. Police say animal control officers secured the dog after the owner got there to put its muzzle on. He signed over surrender paperwork and the dog was euthanized at Tufts Vet Center Sunday. There are no charges at this time. Make pitfalls with that. And they're not. They're actually great families. Uh. A GoFundMe page was set up to help the family pay medical expenses. More than $2,000 have already been raised in just one day. Hallworth encourages pet owners to prioritize training. Train it to be around people. Socialize it. Don't, don't let this stuff happen. But now it's innocent people are totally just mangled. You know, they... Um and police say the injuries are not life-threatening, but they are critical. And we did try to reach out to the family today to get some more details, but didn't hear back from them. I'm live in the bucket. Molly Levine, NBC 10 News. Nice. You know, I want to just go back to, you know, that part of the dog has a history of biting people. And apparently, though, that did not stop. Well, that did not stop. Um... It didn't stop the father from then visiting. There needs to be a thought. Those two children had no choice, but they were along for the ride. All right, I want to get to the latest. There's still fallout. I've also learned, I think this is positive. A lot of news organizations, folks, and again, good afternoon. It's 113. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You can listen at our website, DePietro.com. I am um, hearing that a lot of news outlets that they're in the past, right about now, they'd already be pulling out of, of Texas, right, with, with what happened. But apparently they're not 
doing that. A number of them are going to stay behind. Good Morning America had a good piece on this. I want to play it. I think it's a good reporter, Pierre Thomas. Um, let's hear this piece from this morning. There possibly be charges for officers on the scene that day. Good morning. Robin, good morning. One of the things that's remarkable is that two weeks after this tragedy, the police chief has not given a full briefing about what did or did not happen. Wow. It's unheard of. The essential question is why? Why did those officers not do what law enforcement has been taught to do in active shooter scenarios? Engage with and fight the suspect no matter the cost. That's been the thinking since the Columbine school massacre 23 years ago. As far as criminal charges, it's unclear what those charges could be. Perhaps some sort of criminal negligence, depending on the facts. Some say civil litigation may be a way of holding police and city officials accountable. We have word this morning that a law firm representing four families of students injured in Uvalde will launch its own investigations. But until investigators can answer some of the most basic questions of who did what and why, it's difficult to say. Will everybody involved tell the truth when interviewed? Is anyone of Constructing the investigation, those could potentially lead to criminal charges as well. Everyone's job right now is to make sure all the tough questions are answered. The families and that community are owed that much at the very least. You know, it is really, uh, it, it's just unbelievable that that police chief still will not sit down and make a statement. Uh, they're, they're in a lot of trouble. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show at one fifteen. On this Tuesday, it's brought to you by Propane Plus. Use a lot of propane. Call Propane Plus, 401-885-4209 in Rhode Island. 401-885-4209 for Propane Plus. Heating and cooling in Massachusetts, call 508-252-3359. Their team has been there for three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery. They offer online billing, schedule a service delivery, all at the click of a button. Customers receive a free safety inspection. It's Propane Plus. Now, they have a very easy-to-navigate website, and it's Propane, P-R-O, PropanePlus.com. You just click off residential or commercial, then enter your zip code. Propane Plus. Call them today. Especially now in Rhode Island, I'm going to give both numbers. In Rhode Island, 401-885-4209 or Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. This portion of the John DePietro Show, folks, it's brought to you by the Senadale Revival. Comfort, food, cocktails. They also have Stella Suites right next door. Stop in and see Shane and company. They have a great operation going. Monday through Thursday, 3 to 11.30. Fridays and Saturdays open a little bit later. Lunch served. Fridays and Saturdays and also Sunday brunch. 2025 Smith Street, North Providence, right across from North Providence Town Hall. The Centerdale Revival. I love it there. All right. I want to also play for you. This, to me, is such a big story. And it's the situation with the price of gas. And as I have said, I mean, this is ridiculous at this point. Gas, $5 a gallon. Um, it could get worse. And gas prices are just surging around the country. So I want to play. Uh, listen, this is 13 states now have gas prices more than 
$5 a gallon. Notice Governor McKee's doing nothing about this. rising along with gas prices here at this station were well over 5 bucks. In fact, jumping overnight, 40 cents to five ninety-five a gallon. And the increases at this point show no sign of slowing down. Now, right now, across the country, the national average for a gallon of gas, a record high $4.91. 13 states now have an average gas price above $5 a gallon, including right here in Illinois. That's more than a quarter of the country and nearly double the seven states last week. Another six states are about to hit that five-buck threshold. The most painful week-to-week increase right here in the Midwest, Michigan, Illinois, and Indiana, all seeing increases of more than 45 cents a gallon in just the last week. The sky-high prices fresh on the minds of many Americans as we prepare for midterm elections later this year. Those up for re-election may have to face the wrath of their constituents. Now, one federal agency predicts the average household will spend an additional $450 on gas this year than last year. Absolutely ridiculous. Completely unnecessary and ridiculous. That is sheer incompetence. That's what happens when you listen to the political left. And the Democrat Party has no one to blame but themselves, and now we all have to suffer through it. This Biden presidency is a disaster. Now, right now, it's 119. This portion of the John DePietro Show. Folks, don't forget, stop in and see our friend Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Where are you on this Tuesday? She's open right in that historic old white church diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. It's My Health, vitamins, herbal remedies, local products, acai, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum, over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices that can be purchased by the ounce, plus box herbs and teas, hemp and CBD products. It's My Health. Stay healthy. And you can also purchase some great local products. And Father's Day is coming. Pop it and see Marie. She's so delightful. Folks, you don't have to order things online. Try some of the new teas that she has or the natural skincare, hair care products. It's My Health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Now, there's some other stories that are very alarming. One is the huge caravan, 15,000 illegals head through Mexico towards the U.S. border ahead of the Biden Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles. The caravan is 11,000 strong, departed Mexico-Guatemalan border. The group is expected to surge to 15,000. 15,000. The illegals come from Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua. Um, Monday, the Mexican president confirmed he would not attend the gathering in protest because leaders from Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela have not been invited. The caravan's making northward, and the Biden administration is fighting court to end Title 42. You know, there is talk about in January where the Republicans take over in Congress of impeaching Biden for what his lack of action at the southern border. That's a pretty good argument with that. Pretty good argument with that right now. I mean, this is uh, a joke that is happening right now. You know, the other big story to watch today, now this is primary day in other parts of the country. Other parts of the country, they do it right. How about the fact that L.A. and San Francisco... Voters may rebuke the left in the primary. An ex-Republican billionaire could be the next mayor of Los Angeles. San Francisco may oust their reform district attorney. 
Two of America's most famously progressive cities may take right turns today. California's six other states hold primary elections. This year's sixth round of primaries will feature no major Senate gubernatorial, but determine who may end up resulting in different states like Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, South Dakota, Los Angeles. Long simmering frustrations, homelessness and crime have made an ex-Republican billionaire, the unlikely frontrunner, be the next mayor. Rick Caruso, major real estate developer, recently joined the Democrat Party, received a rare endorsement from Elon Musk. Has spent $34 million on his campaign, 10 times more than his main opponent, Representative Karen Bass. He's tapped into growing resentment about the state and the city's perception that Democrat leaders have been unable to do much about it. Homelessness continues to rise, while housing is even less affordable. Crime is up, traffic is worse, high gas prices. Um... Los Angeles County, which has for decades been a magnet for Americans dreaming of a fresh start. So more people leave during the first year of the pandemic than any other time in period in uh, history. With TV ads promising clean up L.A., be a doer, not just a talker. He's portrayed himself as an outsider. Ability and willingness to do what the city needs. I want to play one of his ads, actually. Um, I've heard a lot about this particular individual this, um, folks, what does it, it tell you and show you that, you know, the, the left, they're just the party of failure right now. If this guy, he was a, a big Republican, if he ends up becoming and he's going to be the next mayor of Los Angeles, I mean, that is just going to be unbelievable. Um, and, and they're saying, you know, the, the way that they're hitting him. Is by trying to say that he is, in fact, that he's a Republican. But what he's really gone after is the fact the the homelessness. So and it's it's so out of control in L.A. You know they're also saying, and I think this is interesting: homeless homeless should not be allowed to just camp outside. Homeless should not be allowed to just, you know, you can't just sleep outside in a tent. And you have to go to a shelter or whatever. Um, I want to just play this piece because this guy has, like, come out of nowhere. But I think that shows, imagine San Francisco as well. So I want to hear this piece on this Rick Caruso. Explaining how he says he can improve the lives of Angelinos. The billionaire developer and philanthropist outlines how he will address crime, homelessness, and become a leader. He says the city has been lacking for years. KTLA's Christina Pascucci joins us live from downtown L.A. with more. Christina. Hi, Micah. Good evening to you. Caruso told me the first thing he will do if elected to mayor of Los Angeles is declare a state of emergency in the city. Uh, He is a newly registered Democrat. He spent many years as an independent, before that a Republican. Now he calls himself a centrist, a socially liberal, fiscally conservative, and above all, he says, someone who is disturbed by the dire state of our city. Meet Rick Caruso, lifelong Angelino, husband, father, grandson of immigrants. Rick Caruso, philanthropist and billionaire developer of landmarks like The Grove, says he's running for mayor of Los Angeles because current leadership has failed. Everyone that I'm running against, they're legislators, but they've been on the job for over a decade. 
And while they've been on the job, everything has gotten worse. Caruso says public safety is a focus of his campaign, and he plans to hire 1,500 more LAPD officers if elected as mayor. I want to be tough on crime. I think that's important to have a safe society where people feel secure and happy. Um, and I want to give people an opportunity to live the American dream. And that's one of the pillars of your campaign is ending street homelessness. So what will you do that is different from what you know others have tried? Day one in office, declare a state of emergency take all the authority to fix the problem into the mayor's office i'm going to be accountable i'll build a team of the best and the brightest to do it we're going to treat it like a crisis and we're going to go build 30,000 uh beds very quickly Cruz's opponents had criticized him for supporting da george gascone whose weak on crime policies have been blamed for a spike in los angeles crime you were a supporter of his contributed thousands of dollars to his campaign where do you stand now in your support George changed. So when George first asked me for his support, he was a 20-year-old friend. I knew him, and I knew the George that was at LAPD on how he looked at fighting crime. His views changed, and once I saw as his campaign unfolded, his views changing, I donated heavily to Jackie Lacey. And if there was a recall today, would you support it? If he doesn't change, yes. What do you want people to know about you on a personal level? I really do love this city. I feel so blessed in my life. I want to give back, and I want to do it in a meaningful way, and I want to make people's lives better. And this is just a snippet of what we discussed during a 20 to 30 minute conversation. I also asked a 63 year old father. You know, he, um, and again, I, this would be so major. Should this happen? Folks, good afternoon. Right now it's 127. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, dePietro.com. This portion of the program, remember, when you hear about crime, I want you to think of our friend at Competition Shooting Supplies, 435 Benefit Street in Pawtucket. Stop in and see John Francis. That caravan is headed to Providence. Folks, the crime is out of control. You need to protect yourself. If you're a first time, if you've just been thinking, let's just say you're a business owner or a woman, you've just been thinking of getting a firearm to defend yourself. Pop into competition shooting supplies. Talk to John Francis. Have a conversation with him. Uh, talk to him a little bit about it. And you can go through all the steps. That's where I go. He's my gun guy. 435 Benefit Street in Pawtucket. Look for him on Facebook. It's competition shooting supplies. To get there, you take the last exit in Rhode Island. It's exit 2A. You go past the Attleboro train station. And then when you come to Newport Avenue and Benefit Street, you just hang the left. And you're right there at competition shooting supplies. 435 Benefit Street in Pawtucket. Well, folks, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. I want to play... um. This piece about this, uh, he's a teacher who was wounded in the shooting and talking about trying to help and not going to let those children die in vain. For the first time, Listen as to this. he recovers in the hospital from two gunshot wounds hit during the horrific massacre that took 19 students and two teachers' lives. It was our typical morning and, um, you know, we ate breakfast together. It was going to be a good day because it was going to be our day of awards and some kids in my class said that having gotten an award you know all year 
We're going to get an award that day. Reyes says the children were enjoying the end of the year celebration. And while some students went home after the ceremony, 11 from his class stayed behind. They were watching a movie when all of a sudden gunfire rang out. The kids started asking out loud, uh, Mr. Reyes, what is going on? And I said, I don't know what's going on, um, but let's go ahead and get under the table. Uh, get under the table and act like you're asleep. Um, as they were doing that, and I was gathering them under the table and told them to act like they were going to sleep, is about the time when I turned around and saw him standing there. The gunman entering classroom 112 at 11.33 a.m., then making his way into 111 through a connecting door, opening fire. Reyes shot twice, a bullet hitting him in the arm and lung, and a separate one striking his back. The 17-year teaching veteran hitting the ground. I told myself, I told my kids to act like I'm there asleep, so I'm going to act like I'm asleep also. And I prayed and prayed that when I hear none of my students talk. Did you, you, you thought you were going to die? Yes, ma'am. Then, while the gunman was still in the classroom, Reyes hearing police nearby. According to law enforcement, yes. seven officers were in the building by 11.35 a.m. They took gunfire and retreated. Reyes says a child in the connecting classroom, 112, called out for help. One of the students from the next door classroom, um was saying, officer, we're in here, we're in here. And then, uh, but they had already left. And then um, he got up from, from my, behind my desk and he walked over there and he shot over there again. The gunman going back into room 112 and firing more shots. At 11.58 a.m., children from other classrooms seen evacuating the school. At 12.03 p.m., a child from room 112 calling 911, telling dispatch where she was. By this point, 19 officers were inside the building, but no one went in. At 12.10, 12.13, and 12.16, more 911 calls. Is there anybody inside of the building? Um, Parents outside begging for police to save the children. You know that they're kids, right? They're little kids. They don't know how to defend themselves. You said you were praying. Do you remember what you were praying for? What you were saying in your prayers? I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I prayed my Hail Mary. Reyes says eventually he heard officers come back, telling the gunman through the door they want him to come out to talk, that they don't want to hurt anybody, but then silence again. More 911 calls, including from Reyes's classroom. But it isn't until 12.50 p.m., one hour and 17 minutes after the gunman entered the classrooms, that Border Patrol busts in, killing the shooter. After that, it was just bullets everywhere. And then I just remember Border Patrol saying, um, get up, get up, and I couldn't get up. Did you feel abandoned in that moment by police, by the people who are supposed to protect you? Absolutely. After everything, I get more angry because you have a bulletproof vest. I had nothing. Wow. I had nothing. You're supposed to protect and serve. There is no excuse for their actions. And I will never forget them. I will never forget them. How many students were in your classroom when the shooter came in? 
11 students. <clears throat> so the shooter killed every single student in your classroom. Yes, ma'am. Oh. That's when I got to thinking, you know. This family lost one. This family lost one. I lost 11 that day. Oh. And I joined to my parents and I'm sorry. I tried my best. Of what I was told to do. Please don't be angry with me. Rhea says no training could have prepared them for this. Even though the school had extensive protocols, he says laws have to change. It all happened too fast. Training, no training, all kinds of training. Nothing sets you ready, gets you ready for this. We trained our kids to sit under the table. And that's what I thought of, you know, at the time. But we set them up to be like ducks. You can give us all the training you want, but it's us. But laws have to change. It won't never change unless they change the laws. Reyes says he doesn't think he can ever return to a classroom, but he's making it his mission to honor the lives of his students and two of his fellow teachers. The only thing that I know that I will not let these children and my coworkers die in vain. Absolutely. I will not. I will go anywhere to the end of the world to not let my students die in vain. They didn't deserve this. Nobody in this world deserves this kind of pain. No mother, nobody deserves this. I will go to the end of the world to make sure things get changed. And it was also really important for Mr. Reyes, for all of you to know that those two teachers who lost their lives, his friends, his co-workers, Ava Morales and Irma Garcia, he says they were awesome, amazing educators. And he wants the parents of their students to know that they, too, tried to do everything they could to protect them. So he says, yes, you heard that it's his mission. He wants to see change. He really wants to see the legal age to buy a gun raised. He thinks that will go a long way. And also, I just want to send out my love and thoughts and prayers to him because he's going back into surgery today. He's already had multiple surgeries. He has a very long road to physical recovery. Mentally, I don't, I don't know that. That's why he, why he was kept saying over and over again, "Please let the parents know I did everything that I could." He did not have a bulletproof vest. Yeah. The others did, and there is so much more to the interview that we could not share because yeah. it was so. There, there was not a dry eye in the room where we were shooting that because there's no way you can't hear what Mr. Reyes has to say, what he lived through, and not feel and 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 hopefully want to take some sort of action. I mean, we we if not now, when you know we've said that so many times. It's but, just heartbreaking. You, you know. can't hear that and want to make a change. And I don't know what's wrong with you, but folks, again, good afternoon. That's um, boy, he was right there. That guy was at ground zero. It's one thirty-seven. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Wow. Every child in his class was killed. They had the awards day. A lot of kids left for the day. But these students stayed behind, so they're just showing them a movie. End of the year. Whew. I want to play that again. 
He was shot three times. He said he'll never forgive the police. You had bulletproof vests. I had nothing. Why didn't you come in? Couldn't even get up. Oh, my God. Eleven children in his classroom were all killed. Everyone in the classroom was killed. He was shot three times, somehow survived. I want to hear some, I just part of this, just part of this again. Sin, killing the shooter. After that, it was just bullets everywhere. Okay, no, I want to get to the the part where they're, okay, here we there. go. The gunman entering classroom 112 at 11.33 a.m., then making his way into 111 through a connecting door, opening fire. Reyes shot twice, a bullet hitting him in the arm and lung, and a separate one striking his back. The 17-year teaching veteran hitting the ground. I told myself, I told my kids to act like they're asleep, so I'm going to act like I'm asleep also. And I prayed and prayed that I would not hear none of my students talk did you, you you thought you were going to die? Yes, ma'am. Then, while the gunman was still in the classroom, Reyes hearing police nearby. According to law enforcement, yes. seven officers were in the building by 11.35 a.m. They took gunfire and retreated. Reyes says a child in the connecting classroom, 112, called out for help. One of the students from the next door classroom um, was saying, Officer, we're in here. We're in here. And then... Uh, but they had already left, and then um, he got up from from my behind my desk, and he walked over there and he shot over there again. The gunman going back into room one twelve and firing more shots at eleven fifty eight a.m. Children from other classrooms seen evacuating the school. At 12.03 p.m., a child from room 112 calling 911, telling dispatch where she was. By this point, 19 officers were inside the building, but no one went in. At 12.10, 12.13, and 12.16, more 911 calls. Is there anybody inside of the building? Um, is, I'm like, he is in the room full of victims. Full of victims. Full of victims. Full of victims. Parents outside begging for police to save the children. You know that there are kids, right? They're little kids. They don't know how to defend themselves. You said you were praying. Do you remember what you were praying for? What you were saying in your prayers? I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I prayed my Hail Mary. Reyes says eventually he heard officers come back, telling the gunman through the door they want him to come out to talk, that they don't want to hurt anybody, but then silence again. More 911 calls, including from Reyes's classroom. But it isn't until 12.50 p.m., one hour and 17 minutes after the gunman entered the classrooms, that Border Patrol busts in, killing the shooter. After that, it was just bullets everywhere. And then I just remember Border Patrol saying, um, get up, get up. And I couldn't get up. Did you feel abandoned in that moment? by police, by the people who were supposed to protect you? Absolutely. After everything, I get more angry because you have a bulletproof vest. I had nothing. I had nothing. You're supposed to protect and serve. Wow. There is no excuse for their actions. And I will never forget them. I would never forgive them. How many students were in your classroom when the shooter came in? 11 students. So the shooter killed every 
each single student in your classroom? Yes, ma'am. That's when I got to thinking, you know, this family lost one, this family lost one. I lost, I lost 11 that day. And I joined my parents and I'm sorry. I tried my best. Of what I was told to do. Please don't be angry with me. Reyes says no training could have prepared them for this. Even though the school had extensive protocols, he says laws have to change. It all happened too fast. Training, no training, all kinds of training. Nothing says you ready, gets ready for this. We trained our kids to sit under the table. And that's what I thought of, you know, at the time. But we set them up to be like ducks. Hmm. You can give us all the training you want, but it's us. But laws have to change. It won't never change unless they change the laws. Reyes says he doesn't think he can ever return to a classroom, but he's making it his mission to honor the lives of his students and two of his fellow teachers. The only thing that I know that I will not let these children and my coworkers die in vain. Absolutely. I will not. I will go anywhere to the end of the world. You know, folks, again, good afternoon. It's as dramatic as it gets, you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You know, one thing that he said, and I recognize right now it's 143. Good afternoon. Maybe you're listening on the website, DePietro.com. We have a lot of unique original uh, stories and video. Or maybe you're listening on either AM 1380 or 99.9 FM on this Tuesday, June 7th. Wherever you may be tuning in, people in the... Uh, Douglas Mass area, Worcester, Bellingham, Rentham, or maybe in Lincoln or Smithfield or Johnston. Um, he, he just said something, though, that teacher, and it granted, very emotional, as you can imagine. But, you know, he's not wrong. The strategy of the children should all then just hide Hide on the desk. You know, he's saying that then they just become like sitting ducks. I'm hearing more and more people saying, you know, that that everyone and I, I, I get it that it, it's tough. There's several things about that. Number one, you can't prepare a train for this because this is th- think of this. This is like a war setting. And what I mean by that is this this is combat. This would be combat training. This would be, I think there's several things. Number one, uh, clearly this school was unprepared. Clearly the police were unprepared. We still don't have an answer on the door. The police were on their way. If he could not have gotten into the school, he would have had a gun battle outside the school. Whatever happened there, however he was able to, you know, the door had been propped open. I don't know what to believe from this school anymore. They're saying that the teacher went to shut it and it didn't lock. I don't know what to make of that. Um, 
But I think several things have to be looked at. One, someone like that shooter should not have had access to that type of weapon. And I think that is going to change, by the way. In New York, they just changed it. They just ranged it, uh, uh, changed it to 21. I think there is something, 18, 19, 20. You look at the age of the shooters. So many of the shooters, are they're all under 21. I, I fully get there's a limit of how much you can. You're, you're right. Someone's listening saying you could get in a car, but he didn't get in a car. And if it had been in a car, he would have crashed into the building. Yeah, but he could have crashed them outside. Well, there's fencing up. I recognize someone might argue that if someone really wants to, they're going to do this anyway. I'm not saying I disagree with that. However, I I think you have to make it as difficult as possible. And the shooter, that, that shooter, 18 years old, him getting the the weapon right at his 18th birthday I think it's problematic I think we're being reasonable the Buffalo shooter also had access to that type of weapon um, I know someone mentioned what about the Waukesha parade that's true uh, then they, they need to alter it to have police at the back of the parade and at the front of the parade to make sure that no one could bring a vehicle into something like that. My point is, when something happens, I don't think it, you, you can't just say, well, that's just, the, you know, it's an act of, it's not an act of God. Now, right now, today, right now, it's 147 on this Tuesday, June 7th. Between now and Labor Day, tragically, some young child is going to drown somewhere in the United States in a backyard swimming pool. It doesn't mean you don't continue to try to make improvements and safety improvements. You know, now all pools are supposed to be enclosed. All pools are supposed to be enclosed with a lock. Many times we hear of the young child, two years old, slips away. There's a party. There's a group. And the little child thinks, I'll go into the pool. They know how to reach up, hit the latch, or it's left open. And the child ends up in the pool, the silent killer. So, now, I also want to just check this. I'm seeing this right now. Uh, let's see. Providence police responded to a home invasion call Tuesday morning. The victim says one of the intruders threatened her with a gun and demanded money. Now, that's different. Channel 10 has this story. Let me hear, uh, just see exactly what it says. Where is this? Providence Police found a home invasion Tuesday. Hawkins Avenue. I think that's off Branch, right? Around 8. Oh, wow. 8 o'clock in the morning? Huh. Victim told police she was awakened. 732 men broke into her home. Victim told police one of the men put a handgun at her, demanded money. During the course of the interaction, victim learned... The men were after money that her father allegedly owed them. According to her narrative, the men took pictures of the personal documents threatened her if she called the police. When they left, she called her family members. Those family members advised her to call the authorities. As for the intruders, the one with the gun, light-skinned male in his early 20s. 
black ski mask, black gloves, black long sleeve top black pants, um, Hawkins Avenue in Providence. The other suspect, a light brown Hispanic man wearing a ski mask. Police observed the rear door and door frame had pry marks and the apartment was in disarray. Now, what do we learn by this? What do we learn by this? This was targeted. It's not a random. I'm not saying it helps these people, but this is not. I see. I think we need better terms, much like how, you know, Governor McKee, they keep saying like homeless. But then when you learn more about some of these individuals, they seem to be people who choose not to work and they, therefore, they don't want to pay rent. They just want free housing. Yeah, Hawkins is way up. I was right. It's kind of near Branch. Branch Avenue. Hawkins Avenue. Um, let me find that again. On the, um, Let me just find Hawkins. Is it Hawkins Street? I think it's Hawkins Street. I just want to see. I, I think that's exactly where it is, actually. Um, Hawkins Street. Okay. Uh, yeah. I believe I was right. Yeah. It's right near the funeral home. North Hawkins. Hawkins is off a branch. Know exactly where that is. Then that's right around the north end. Yeah, off of Charles Street. So, and there's the funeral home over there, and then you go right into. Um, it's kind of between. Yeah, it's all between like 146 Branch Avenue. Little bit of a dicey area, to say the least. But anyhow, um, the point about that is just that it's. It seems targeted. Uh, just getting back to, folks, the, the school situation. Number one, he's right. It happened so fast. Number two, I know some people saying you got to arm the teachers. I'm not opposed to that. But I think you also have to look at, you know, what, what would happen if someone 18, 19, and 20 couldn't get access to that type of weapon? Someone could say, well, they could buy it off someone else. Right, but the Buffalo shooter and the Texas shooter don't seem to be the type that have someone that would do that for them. The Texas shooter, when he was 17, he asked his sister to buy him a gun and she wouldn't. So I think, how does this impact a legal gun owner? I don't think it does. Let, let me. I don't think it should. But I think what they have to figure out is how to keep the gun away from an individual like that. That type of weapon. Now, the other thing, would the the Buffalo shooter and the Texas shooter, let's look at those two. Would they, let's, let's each take them separately. Look at Buffalo. Is he driving up to that market, supermarket in, in New York, and is he firing at all those people possible with a handgun 
whether it be a handgun or just a regular, you know, pistol. Possible. However, there was a store security guard who fired on him. Now, he then fired and killed the store security guard with the type of weapon he had. But there's a very good chance the store security guard um, may have deterred him or been able, wouldn't have been killed if, in fact, he just had a regular handgun. What, could he have done that with a knife? They don't seem like the type that would do with a knife. You, you have to have a certain element of either crazy or anger or I don't, I don't want to say guts. But it's it's just it's much easier to just pull a trigger. It's much easier than and say what people want. It's a high powered rifle, not a hunting rifle. So would he do that? I don't think he kills as many people. You know, you see that buffalo shooter. He starts shooting people right in front of the store as he's making his way in, and everyone's running. All right, so he runs up and stabs someone. Well, then maybe someone hits him. You're not doing that type of damage, and then inside the store. Him marching around with a handgun, I just don't think it's – I know it's not. It's not the same. You're not getting off as many shots. You know, in Newtown, Connecticut, that shooter fired off 150 rounds in a span of like four minutes. You're not doing that with a six shot, that's for sure. Now, let's go to Texas. He could have used a knife. All right, so he runs in. He runs into the classroom. He's, what, stabbing the teacher? Well – Number one, maybe this teacher could overpower him. Number two, let's give him a handgun. Let's give him a handgun. The police show up. They're two minutes behind him. He grazed and wounded two police in the hallway. Then they retreated. They didn't go after him. But they didn't go after him because they had an AR-15. Do they go after him if he just has a handgun? I think so. I think they go after him if, if if he just has a handgun. But... I think you can't ignore that the AR, they suddenly realized they were dealing with something else. When they realized that the shooter who had entered the school had an AR-15, that became, we're just going to barricade and wait for special ops almost to come in. There were a lot of mistakes in Texas. Don't make me, don't, don't get me wrong. But, but take that weapon out of the equation. I, I, don't, I don't think they're doing it. You know? Now, listen, we saw that on 9-11, you know, the first three planes into the Pentagon and the two World Trade Centers, it worked, it worked fine when they had a team of five. The, the last plane, they only had a team of four because one of them was detained. Because of that team of four, because of the people on the plane knew, like, oh, okay, we get it. This isn't like a normal hijacking where, you know, we're going to Mexico and we want this or that and we want $20 million. It's not like that. Their objective is they were going to fly that plane either into the Capitol or the White House. And once the passengers realized that and they were down one, instead of the crew of five, they only had the crew of four. They, they stopped that. Now, granted, you know, they then crashed the plane in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. But my point is when you alter the plan, it, it threw things off a little bit. And notice after that, folks, 
you know, I, I come back to we should have been told the summer of 2001, be cautious of potential hijacking or I know no one wants to say it, but Middle Eastern men be on guard. I'll tell you, people were certainly on guard after that. After that, if people saw four or five Middle Eastern men all boarding a flight, people definitely were on guard. And I'm not saying it was the right thing to do, but once people kind of got where this was going. But let's come back to the school just for a moment. With a handgun, they don't wait. With a handgun, he he has to keep reloading. He's not getting off 100 shots with a handgun, 100 rounds. He's not. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. A delicious lunch or dinner is waiting for you. And don't forget, full bar, large dining area. And tomorrow night, they're going to be rocking with the Celtics. Back in Boston for game three of the NBA championship series against Golden State. And you can catch all the action at the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Well, folks, good afternoon. On this uh, rather pleasant Tuesday, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Now, I will be doing Facebook Live later, depending on the different stories. I'm very disappointed with what's going to happen tomorrow, which is Governor McKee is going to sign this new voting legislation that really is just terrible for our democracy. It's an attack on democracy is what it is. And it's atrocious. And the fact they're all going along with it. Is a, is a complete failure by local government because this these are not elections. They're certainly not fair elections. They can argue all they want, but they're not. Listen, please visit the website, depetro.com. We have great items available in the shop. Buy a mug. Support the show. You can also contact me that way. I want you to stay tuned. You're going to hear the 2 o'clock news, and then it will be the John Dion program. I'm back tomorrow on the radio at 11. We will be doing Facebook Live. Later tonight, right around 7 o'clock. WNRI, Winsocket.